Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chai Pod, where we have conversations on the arts, culture, and society. I'm your host, Brother Dash, and we will continue our conversation with Sheikh Abdullah Athami, where we were discussing women's society and human nature. In this, the second part, we will focus on women, authentic hadith, and gender roles. On this, episode five of the Chai Pod. We have a unique gift in the Islamic traditions. All our books, without exception, are narrated with a continual chain of authority from our time back to the compiler of the book, like Imam Muslim or Imam Bukhari, and from them back to our beloved Prophet rigorously authenticated throughout the time of the Islamic tradition. And this is something we are deeply grateful for the grace of God for having. And it's not a uh, triumphalism. It is not, mm-hmm. We're not bragging about this. This is a, a unique quality of the Islamic tradition that makes the Muslim feel solid about her faith, solid about um, her convictions, solid about her narratives, Everything is handed down by this isnad, or the continual chain of authority, and it is unparalleled in any other tradition. Um, and, and of course, we're not here to, to be, really, is it unparalleled? That's a whole other question. Western scholars know that it is unparalleled in their traditions as well. There's nothing like isnad anywhere outside the Islamic tradition. So, you go to any edition of Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim, you go to the hadith and you will find the beloved of God sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said inna al-mar'ata khuliqat min dhila' period close quotation marks what is in riyadh al-salihin is dhil'in a'waj you hear that dhil' mm-hmm. is not the same as dhila' it's right. not the same the only place that contains awaj is a questionable narrative in the Mustadrak of Imam al-Hakim, who passed away 415 years after the hijrah of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. The Mustadrak of Imam al-Hakim is the only place, I promise you, that has among the canonical collections and the, uh, the canonical... This is really our Western baggage. We don't have canonical literature as opposed to apocryphal literature, of right. course. There's no, such, there's no such baggage by the grace of God in the Islamic tradition. There are no, there are no apocryphal texts. They are fabricated texts that have been rigorously purified. The tradition is purified from them. And what we have by continual authority to the Prophet Muhammad is the purest tradition. Uh, um, Those among us who are specialists in hadith or the narrative tradition will know that among the uh, what are called the six canonical collections, uh, like Ibn Majah particularly, the sixth book, mm-hmm. they are not the six canonical collections and they are not the six most authenticated books because there are fabricated narratives in, in Ibn Majah and he's one of the six. There are weak isnads in the Sunan of Nasa'i and Tirmidhi, rahimahumullah. There are questionable narratives in the Sunan of Abu Dawood. Only a Bukhari and Muslim have the sanctity, so to speak, because they've been rigorously authenticated. The, the, it's really not correct to say the, um, it's very common, particularly in the subcontinent, to say the, the six authentic books, the Sihah al-Sitta. 
This is a right, right. innovation. This is a way modern innovation that came later. They're not the Sihah Sitta. They're not the six authentic books of Hadith. But that's a that's another thing. We're, we're being very specific about the terminology so that people understand that their tradition is rigorously authenticated and solid and established and there's no room for somebody to come and say there's this narrative, there's this hadith if a person erred by a dot or a hamza a record would exist on what that person's name is, what his lineage, the date and the day and the time and the year and the month when he made that error, witnesses who saw him make it, this is phenomenal. That's something that gives solace to the heart of a believer when she has a question about a hadith or the commentary on a Quranic verse because the question ultimately is, what is the isnad? What is the chain of authorities that gave you this information? So this is number one, to establish that the, the word crooked does not exist in the authentic narrative as some of the books claim. What makes it put there? Well, Abu Hamad al-Ghazali in Ihya Ulum al-Din says it's right there and it's muttafaqun alayh, right? It's agreed upon. Um, so it's, it's, it's on some level um, not so much comical as it, is, um, um, as it is sad because it shows how we've been polluted by the, uh, the cultural norms of people that we came into contact with, whether it's the Persians or the Romans or, or, or anybody else. Um, or even the Chinese, or the, the level of, of hegemony and ignorance permeates from Tarim uh, Yemen to Tarim China. It's incredible. You know, standing when your husband eats. Mm. You know, that's where, where that ignorance comes from. You will find it in Tarim Yemen, but you also find it among Kuyushu men in Japan, in 21st century Kyushu, Japan. Women must stand while their men eat. And like, wait a minute, you have to scratch your head and say, who is copying from whom? Where did we get this from? This is absolutely serving and feeding the, the fragile male ego. We can't go along with this as a God-loving, self-respecting, tradition-honoring Muslims. This cannot be... Uh, from our tradition. This is alien to humanity before it is unacceptable in Islamic Sharia. That's number one. So the, trans the proper translation of the Hadith, women were created with an inclination. And this is what makes them so magnificently enigmatic um, and so magically incomprehensible, even to themselves, of course. And, and, and they will admit that if there is a quiet, calm conversation. Women will admit that the, the abundance of thoughts and feelings that rush to their head when they want to express something is utterly mesmerizing. And of course it's utterly confusing <laughs> to the man who's trying to make sense because that's his handicap. He's trying to make sense. That's his handicap, really, honestly, no, no joke, no pun intended. He is trying to make sense of a plethora, of a kaleidoscope, call it whatever you'd like, amalgamation of thoughts and feelings that are pulling and tugging in 10 million directions. But that actually, according to what we synthesize from Quran and Sunnah, is a search for 
what is authentic and what is real and what is significant and what is useful. And that's, for example, something that you may not find that remains to be said in the guidelines or the, the guidebooks on uh, male-female communication is you ever wonder, for example, why men do not stop to ask each other, does that make sense? And, and women constantly look for affirmation mm. from their yes. female partner. Right. Does that make sense? You're with me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's very dynamic. You know, the, the females around her feed her and tell her, yeah, you know, you go, girl. This makes sense. <laughs> and I'm with you. And uh-huh. And all that. The men just stare at each other. Because the man talks in a very methodical, uh, very controlled, almost fabricated, almost pretend, almost unreal, because he hasn't been taught to be natural, because to be natural is to let go, and to let go is unbecoming of an authority figure. You see, it's all tied back to that power cosmic order thing. Absolutely. And so the man must remain stoic, and he must remain a pillar. And but pillarhood, uh, you know, that does not. It, it's all great, but it does not mean that a person um, is is denied the opportunity to be human and to be expressive. And we are not talking about letting boys cry. You know, that that's really very simplistic and and rather pitiful. That you. That's not the point for a man. The point for a man is to learn how to navigate the feelings that he has in a way that actually honor him and protect his insecurities. And so that he, because it's, it's, it's very unbecoming for him to be, quote unquote, out there like that. It's uncomfortable. He doesn't know how to do that. He's not cultured how to do that. Not when he's Muslim or American or Chinese or from the North Pole or wherever he's from. It's just how manly or masculine culture is across the world. And if Muslims really love their traditions, they would sponsor studies, anthropological studies. These, this stuff, you know, you could sell to the Discovery Channel or something. <laughs> because we've never seen or heard of anything like this. Go around the world, and of course you may, oh, well, Sheikh, you want to just embarrass the heck out of everybody, don't you? Well, well, not really. I want to, I, I really believe that we can be enriched in the understanding of our own limitations and our own baggage and our own silliness by realizing, hey, everybody else has got the same stuff, and everybody else has got the same baggage. So let every question like this from the questions that you ask be a clarion call for a more humane dialogue between males and females in society. The the second question you asked is about the the leading the prayer, for example. Leading the prayer is simply uh, uh, an affirmation of the divine division of males are the pillars of society and women are the maintainers and the protectors of the unseen. Prayer or salah in Islam actually is the religious manifestation or the model of how Sharia or Islamic law seeks to order the world, who is responsible for the physical order of the world, the males. Being that prayer is the physical representation of the cosmic, uh, the, the, of course, it has spiritual imagery and connotations and symbolism and so forth. But ultimately, it is established on earth 
it is prayed in a place of prostration, in a masjid or masjid. You know, so the place of prostration is earthly. The other spheres, direction to Mecca, earthly sphere. Direction to God is symbolic. The heart elevates to God or ascends to God during the prayer, mm -hmm. ideally. You know, if you're praying, in, if you're praying in your uh, in your closet at the office or in a dressing room, it, it's kind of hard to get that attention in <laughs> right. three minutes. You know, because you're in a hurry, you're doing a duty. But ultimately, it's an earthly endeavor. The those who are responsible for the earthly endeavor are the men, and so they lead. They are decreed to lead the earthly domain, and that is represented ultimately. And the epitome of that is prayer. If you understand prayer, you understand how Sharia literally, without exaggeration, literally and figuratively sought to order the world. And this order, the men are ultimately responsible for, and that's why they must lead the prayer. The women are remarkably responsible for the realm of the unseen. And... In all tradition, and this remains to be emphatically stated as well, women are allowed in the Islamic tradition to lead non-obligatory prayers. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. If you, if you, um, in my book, I have a synthesis of all the narratives across tradition, where the imams have said, and not just Imam Ahmed, most people have heard, Imam Ahmed affirms a woman can lead in the Tawaweeh in Ramadan, you know, the, the night, the so-called night vigil prayer in, right. in the month of fasting. He's not the only one who says a woman leads in the Tawaweeh. There are other jurists who, who affirm a woman leads in, in the night vigil prayer outside Ramadan. You can follow your wife if she's making nafila non-obligatory prayer mm -hmm. yes the non-obligatory prayer is the realm of spiritual ascension the realm of increase the realm of abundance the realm of nurture for the spiritual realm the women are preeminent in that and so they're allowed to lead the non-obligatory prayer of course it's never presented this way mm. and so therefore it's always no and, and incidentally even by our jurists of blessed and most felicitous memory, God bless them, they will present a woman cannot lead the prayer because God's prophet said you must move women back as God had decreed for them to move back. Mm. Incidentally, I promise you again, you will not find this hadith attributed to the prophet Muhammad wasallam in any rigorously authenticated book of hadith. The Prophet ﷺ never said, move women back as God had decreed for them to be back. Mm. Who said that? In the Musannaf of Abd al-Razak al-Sanani, a renowned collection of hadith that we were honored to narrate, almost in its entirety. It's pretty huge. It's okay. 12 volumes. So uh, it's kind of rough to, to, to go through the whole thing. But... Abd al-Razak al-Sanani relates on the authority of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud eminent companion mm -hmm. from the tribe of Hudayl and I'm telling you his tribe for a reason because I'll come back to it in a second he saw companions 
meaning people who did not see the Prophet, the companions of the companions are the successors uh, or the tabi'in. So these people were just beginning to learn their deen or their religion, and the women and the men lined up side by side. Ibn Mas'ud was offended by the sight, and he said, move them back as God had decreed for them to move back. It is a harsh and possibly callous statement because he could have said, in the mosque of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the women prayed behind the men. That's what our beloved instructed us. But he made it this, you know, big to do, thunderous right. thing that no, God forbid, this is what... And then, this comment was taken by the jurists, who may not be solid in hadith, or in the, in the uh, narrative tradition, and said, they put before it, Qala Rasulullah, and that's it, and it became a hadith. And why did we mention the tribe of Hudayr? Ibn Mas'ud is a uniquely, exquisitely unique companion. Ibn Mas'ud was among the unique, uh, the, the companions who took the unique position of a woman, which is a nice bridge into your third question about covering the hair. Ibn Mas'ud uh, affirmed that a woman must cover everything in her body. Not even her eyes, not, nothing must be seen from the women. That, while the position of the majority of the scholars among the companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, saw that the face and the hands were the exception to the Quranic stipulation of the head covering. Now, Huvayl, these people have serious issues. They are the most eloquent tribe among the Arabs, no question about that. Imam Shafi'i learned his stupendous Arabic from the Hudhalis, okay. you know, so as we say, you know, props to the Hudhalis, you know, to the Hudhalis here, <laughs> right. if there are any, you know, if, if they're in our listening audience, genuine people or daughters and sons from Hudhalis, serious props to you and everything else, but for real, Hudhalis have serious issues in the cultural anthropological department way before Islam. Okay. And the Hudhalis come from Yemen. Mm. And their mores and their cultural norms and so forth survive in modern day Yemen with remarkable and impeccable, in the same way as it's described in the adab of Ibn Mas'ud I want to make clear that we are not a stuff for Allah, we seek refuge in God from our ignorance. We're not bad-mouthing a Sahabi. We're not saying Ibn Mas'ud has issues. We're saying the culture within, he, within which, or that, that sprung him, this is the nurture question mm-hmm. again, right, right. was brutal in its view of women. It's Ibn Mas'ud who said, this is serious scholarly synthesis here. This is not singling out a companion and saying, oh, look at him. Ibn Mas'ud was the closest companion in mannerism to the beloved of God, وسلم, as related in the Sahihain. So we're not saying anything about his, his beauty, his magnificence, his manners, his Islam. That's not the point. His cultural package is what we're talking about here, folks. Right. And it's very important to highlight that. Ibn Mas'ud, 
the most greatest and the sweetest companion, the closest to the Prophet in mannerism, as Imam Bukhari relates in the Sahih, was the one who also said a woman comes in the in the shape or in the in the visage or in the in in the image of the shaitan or the devil or Satan. That's not an authentic hadith attributed to the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's a comment by Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said a woman comes in the face or in the image or in the visage of Satan. Now, that of course has pagan remnants, that has hints of Aristotle, that has hints of uh, um, ancient uh, Hebrew myths um, mm -hmm. about... Uh, 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 Lilith, I think she's right. Called, Lilith, and, you yes. Know, Lilith, and and her myth, my God, you know the Arabs still Layla is the Arabic version of Lilith, huh. and Layla people, the Arab, the the pre-Islamic Arabs protected their children from Lilith in pre in pre-Islamic Arabia for millennia be, be, before before Islam, before the Prophet Muhammad came along, and and that's why the Prophet sallam did not again did not come. To within a cultural vacuum, he he had all of this to take care of, and then and and this would be a nice bridge into the final question about the prayer in the closet thing. So, the the notion of but but before then the head covering is really crucial. The head covering is revealed in all traditions. In the Old Testament, women are supposed to cover their head. In the New Testament, women are supposed to cover their head. In, uh, this is way too famous. This is beyond renowned for us to say, well, which book is it in and which reference be? This is not that kind of show. Right. You know? And, but really, the, um, as a matter of fact, the rabbinical commentary on the process of um, having a woman go through a trial when she's accused, one of the things that the rabbis in, in the Sanhedrin or the Court of Elders is to remove her head cover. And uh, to to defame her or to challenge her, and, mm. and so to speak. Uh, so the um, Mary, peace be upon her, is covered. Um, every, as a matter of fact, the grandma. Some of the it is very conceivable and very serious about this that the great grandmothers of many of today's most ardent quote unquote feminists or radical feminists were also covered in colonial America. Sure. Everyone covered their head. And this idea of a, a woman's allure was not was was something that goes back to the myth of Lilith. And that's why I brought her up. Okay. You know, brides cover um, the, the bridal veil. Look at this all this incredible Western uh, Christian medieval myth across millennia permeate into Islamic culture and women, you know, Muslim women will want a bridal veil when, when they get married. It, it's really, um, it's really fascinating. The bridal veil is supposed to protect you from the, um, the, 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 uh, the angels kidnapping you or the devils kidnapping you, depending on which historical myth you follow. Okay. And uh, the famous, um, in the book of Enoch, uh, one of the apocryphal books, or mm -hmm. one of the books that did not make it into the Bible, but very, very fascinating, luscious stories of intrigue and mystery and 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 and, um, uh, and everything else. But but anyways, uh, the book of Enoch talks of angels who come down to earth and kidnap 
and kidnap pretty women. So one of the reasons for bridal veil and one for the reasons for a woman covering her head and, and you, is, is to actually protect yourself from being kidnapped. Um, and of course the other, the other thing is to protect yourself from, from being kidnapped by, by jinn and by, mm -hmm. by satans and by demonic forces in the world. And sadly, the original stipulation of the head covering by Jesus in the New Testament has nothing to do with this. But look where the exegetical commentary deviated to such an extent that it rendered the original tradition unrecognizable. There's not a single image of Mary, peace be upon her, even though we, we don't believe in the figurative representation of Mary or, or any holy people or, or, or people in general. Um, but her pictures, her imagery is, is entirely covered, is entirely shrouded in this majestic covering of, of the woman. Um, and um, uh, one of the eminent... Um, I think St. Paul calls it the crown and the glory of, of the woman is, is her head covered, you know. And, and so it's not, we're trying to relate how um, uh, women in, in all traditions have some form or other of head covering. This is something that is, again, part of the nature, and we'll get in trouble if we're not having a calm discussion, um, but Islam affirms it is the nature of the woman and the man to cover themselves as is appropriate for their gender. That's the Islamic mm -hmm. ethic here. And, and the fact that the Quran says, the um, it doesn't say shawl, by the way. It's not a shawl. It's not, they cover their bosoms with their shawl and the head is exposed. The word khimar in the Arabic language, this is unequivocal, explicit, and definitively clear. Khimar is a head cover that when draped over the head comes to slightly above the midsection. That's the, the, the beauty of the specificity of the Arabic language. Ishimar mm. is different from a nasif. Ishimar is different from a mirajal. Ishimar is different from a jilbab. Mm. All of these words are head covers and they basically draped over the head and how far down they draped over your body was how they were named. So the nasif from nisf or middle is a head cover that covered you down to your midsection, to the middle of your body. A khimar is something that is slightly higher than that. A jilbab is a head cover that envelops your whole body down to your ankles. That's what it literally meant. Mm -hmm. And so the jilbab is the outermost layer. In the Quran, there's a unique something that sways a lot of people and, and, and causes very fascinating and, and usually unconstructive and useless discussions, the Quran is saying that the free women must be recognized lest they be, quote-unquote, molested, as right. some of the translations have it. Now, how much more enriching to our human lexicon would it be if we knew that the distinction of class or a, between free and slave women existed in every single culture, in every single epoch of human history ever, at least that we have recorded. Mm -hmm. So the distinction of a, cover, a covered woman meant a higher status. You have this even in colonial America in the type of hat 
that a master woman was was to wear, mm -hmm. and the type of bonnet that slaves wore. This is akin to the closest that people can have in terms of a civilizational reference to something that permeates every every strata of society, every and and, and literally every age mm -hmm. of, of human history. So the Quran is not innovating something different. The Quran is not imposing a stricture that, you know, we're not talking about the Taliban thing, we're not talking right. about that, that, you know, we're two, two little holes for eyes. That's not Khimar. That, that, that's, a, that, that's a, you know, that's a gas chamber without the gas. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that, that's oppression. Right. That you can't see in those things. But that culture, I promise you, with all due reverence to the Sahaba who are from Hudayl, are the subcontinent grandchildren of people who came with Hudali mindsets mm. and said nothing from the woman must be seen. This is savagery on its face, but in essence, and here's something very important to highlight, these men actually feel that they are protecting the honor of their women. These men feel that they are being qawam mm. by making sure the woman gets covered. But what these men are not aware of is these men are focusing everything in society and in culture and in the, and, and in the literature if they have any, which that's besides the point, they, we don't. But on the fact that a, God forbid, that a man ever be inconvenienced by the sight of a beautiful woman that will arouse his pathetic passions and his feebleness in a way that makes him want to fulfill that desire. And subhanAllah, the, you know, the, um, the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was, was very normal about this. Um, he said, uh, he was asked uh, by, by companions, what, if you, what do you do if you see a pretty woman in the street? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said that this arousal or this desire is temporary and fleeting and intimacy with your wife, not necessarily, he didn't say conjugal, you know, the conjugal act, but he said being intimate with your own spouse calms that desire and calms that arousal. And, and so plugging the men back into their humanity and into their chastity was the remedy to that solution. He didn't say, well, if you're attracted to her son, why don't you go out and marry her? You have the possibility, you have the ability to marry four. <laughs> He said, go home and take care of your family. Do something nice for your wife. If you're physically attracted to a woman, go and adore your wife. Go and do something for your wife. Do something nice for your wife. Be intimate with your wife. Listen to your wife. Invest in your wife. And that which is physical and carnal about you will be refined. That's the prophetic remedy. Not allow this... Um, uh, promiscuity and, and, and uh, uh, just just allowing the physicality and, and the carnal dimension of the human being to run amok without control in society is is utterly hideous as anyone can tell you but again it does have its roots in the cultural historical baggage of the western world and the Muslims need to understand where that comes from Again, this oppression of feeling is something that is, a, is, a, is an unbearable fraud 
that the Western world has inherited from its medieval times and its ecclesiastical traditions. And so in Islam, there's no parallel to something like this, except in the, in the oppressive and tyrannical and, and equally violent cultures and equally dark and prudish cultures that affirmed that this is the position of the woman and this is what she must be forever and ever. We will conclude our discussion with Sheikh Abdullah Athami in the final episode of season one of the Chai Pod entitled Women and that Beat Them Lightly verse. You definitely don't want to miss the next and final episode of season one of the Chai Pod with Sheikh Abdullah Athami.